as we uh, get into God's word, would you please join me in prayer? Father, we seek you today. There are folks here in this room in need of the reassurance of the truths provided in this letter to the Galatian church. There are folks here today who need to know the fullness of what we're going to be exploring about your kingdom, about your character, and about your love for us. Father, would your word search us and teach us and draw us closer to you? Amen. So in the mid-1760s, there was a group a pretty large group of backcountry settlers in North Carolina, and they formed together to protest against a local governmental system that unfairly favored British colonial officials and wealthy plantation owners. What they wanted was to bring regularity, equality, and uniformity to the political process. See if uh, this tracks for you. They felt that how wealthy or politically connected you were shouldn't have any bearing on what you had to go through to live your life. This protest turned into a battle, and it's remembered as the regulator insurrection. Several of these regulators, as they came to be known, were hanged by the British authorities, and many historians agree that this sparked the beginning of the American Revolution. About 20 years later, at the tail end of the revolution, George uh, Washington is now the president, and he signs a bill which creates the United States Treasury. See, folks were coming to America with currency from their own nations, and there was no way of knowing actually what each other's money was worth. And so one of the main missions of the Treasury was to make irregular currency regular or with uniform value. So here's what I'm getting at. In the beginnings of our nation, to regulate meant to bring uniformity and equality. Two and a half centuries have gone by since the regulators, and the definition of this word has changed, and it's become commonly understood to mean an authority imposing control, oversight, or supervision. Think of the SEC and some of the other regulatory committees that oversee the banks and Wall Street. So what does this have to do with Galatians or baptism? Well, we will get to that in a few minutes, but for now, I say all of that about regulation to get us to settle into the idea that how we commonly understood a concept or word in the Bible may not necessarily be how it was intended to be understood when it was written. The understanding of the word regulation has changed pretty significantly in just a couple hundred years, and we're going to be looking at a letter that was written 2,000 years ago. So in his letter to the church in Galatia, Paul is explaining how salvation works, and he uses the two concepts of adoption and heirs to do so. We probably all have a pretty common understanding of what those words mean, but they meant somewhat different things in Paul's time. We'll get to the differences in, soon, but just please keep that in mind as we, uh, as we read. So would you open up your Bibles if you have them? And we're in Galatians, and we're supposed, we're supposed to start with chapter 4, but Paul starts chapter 4 with the words, what I am saying. He's continuing an illustration, so instead of starting there, we're going to start with verse 26 in chapter 3. So, Starting with verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So in our time and culture, the idea of an heir is somewhat complicated and nuanced. It might bring to mind uh, an undeserving child inheriting a fortune. It can also seem unfair and divisive because an estate is only so big and it has to be divided up between all the heirs. One of the children gets more than the other. You know, you get the house, I get the 401k, maybe I wanted the house. So the process of inheritance often splinters families. Or maybe inheritance in your mind is like the temptation song, Papa was a rolling stone, in which the family laments after their father died that all he left them was alone. In biblical times, and in keeping in mind that Paul's audience was mostly non-Jews, inheritance was different. It had everything to do with carrying on political power and wealth. And that's where adoption comes in, and how adoption now means something different than it did then. See, adoption then was hardly ever done in order to help a child who was in the need of a, the shelter of a family. In fact, unwanted children were usually abandoned. And that's why God, throughout the Old and New Testament, ties obedience and godliness most often to caring for the fatherless and widows. Here's just one example of that from James 1.27. We read, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Also, because children often died unexpectedly in childbirth or at young ages, there was a tremendous risk that any, any kind of family influence uh, position or wealth wouldn't actually be carried on. This reality also resulted in wealthy, politically connected families having lots more kids than they commonly do today because it increased the odds that they would have a son to serve as the surviving heir. If there was no son to serve as the surviving heir, a wealthy family would often adopt a son. And this often happened later on in years, meaning a grown man would be adopted into a family in order to serve as the heir. So in biblical times, the concepts of being an heir and adoption were closely tied together and had nearly everything to do with maintaining power and position. This was the world's legal system of inheritance. In God's kingdom, his system of inheritance is faith. And God wants to make it clear to us through Paul's letter exactly what we inherit as heirs with Christ. Essentially what Paul is doing here in Galatians is he's drawing a comparison. His audience generally understood the legal concepts of being an heir and adoption. And Paul is saying, look, you understand this legal system of becoming an heir. Well, God's system of becoming an heir is like that, only instead of a legal system being the mechanism, he uses a faith system. In the legal system of becoming an heir, if you were a rightful heir, then until the time had come for you to actually receive your inheritance, you were in the same position as the people who were in charge of supervising you. Once that time had come, you were no longer under the supervision of that authority and everything was yours. In God's system of faith, until faith is engaged in, you are under the supervision of the law. Once you engage with faith in Christ, you are no longer under the law and everything in the kingdom of God is yours. Paul cites Abraham as an example of this. In verse 29, he says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. See, Abraham engaged in that system of faith and God considered him righteous because of it. Likewise, if we engage in faith, then we are like Abraham, righteous in God's eyes. You see, righteousness never came through the law or the legal system. 
or in other words, behaving like we're supposed to. Abraham wasn't righteous because of the, obeying the law. The Jews weren't, and we aren't. The law, or all the ways we're supposed to behave, just highlights our inability to do so. If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, Zach used a great example of a crime scene investigator using a blacklight to highlight what was in the room that couldn't be seen. The law simply makes our sinfulness obvious. It is only through faith, no matter who you are, that you can be righteous in God's eyes and all of our sin can be completely wiped away and we can become heirs with Christ. So, what is the faith system? Biblical faith consists of acknowledgement and trust. And that acknowledgement and trust leads to obedience. Going back to Abraham as the example, he acknowledged God. There was no mistaking God in Abraham's mind, who God was, his power, his authority, his sovereignty. But that by itself wasn't enough. Acknowledging God is not enough. As we see in the Gospel of Mark, that even the demons go that far. Mark chapter 1, verse 24, the demons say to Jesus, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Acknowledgement is not enough. Abraham also trusted God. He trusted that as God called him away from his home, that God would provide. He trusted in God's promise that he would have a son and that through that son, God would create descendants that outnumbered the stars. Abraham, Abraham's acknowledgement of God and trust in him comprised his faith, which was the ground under his feet as he walked out that faith in obedience to God's incomprehensible command to give up his own son. Something was foreshadowed, something to foreshadow what, actually, what God would do later on when Jesus went to the cross. In Abraham, we see the example of someone who puts their faith in God and walks that faith out in obedience. In the account of Jesus' um, interaction with the rich young ruler, we see the example of the opposite. This young man acknowledged Christ, but when Christ gave him the opportunity to trust him, the man responded by showing what he actually trusted in, which was his wealth. He demonstrated what he put his faith in by walking away from Christ and toward his wealth. Let me give you a current example. A friend of mine was living with his girlfriend, and he surrendered his life to Christ. Well, now what? Well, having acknowledged God's sovereignty and trusted in God's son, he had become God's child, and he was now an heir to the kingdom of God. The revealing outworking of that faith was that he obediently stepped away from his living situation and committed to marrying his girlfriend. During that process, his girlfriend also surrendered her life to Christ. Praise God. In this case, his step of obedience led to her coming to faith and their marriage, but sometimes God calls us to obedience that is even more costly and may mean the end of a relationship. But trusting and obeying in the Lord is always for our good and his glory. So in the faith system comes salvation. And in the faith system, we become children of God and heirs to the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Let's jump back for a minute into the end of chapter 3, starting with verse 26. It says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If we have surrendered to Christ, then it doesn't matter what our differences might be. We are all one. We are in unity. Gary made clear last week that Jesus doesn't erase the things that make us distinct as people, like ethnicity or culture, our jobs, our social position, or our uniqueness as men and women. Rather, it means that in God's eyes, we are all of equal value. 
And if we have trusted in God, we each share in that inheritance. If we belong to Jesus, then we are in the family of God and heirs according to the promise that was given to Abraham. Abraham demonstrated faith in God and that faith was credited to him as righteousness. And as a result, God promised him that his descendants would outnumber the stars. Who are his descendants? I'm looking at them. That's us. Here's the incredible thing about God's kingdom and where our very limited understanding of being an heir breaks down is that unlike the kingdoms of this world, God's kingdom isn't finite. It isn't limited. You're not going to get a slice of the kingdom with the rest of us having to squabble over what's left. When I was a kid, we moved around all the time. Uh, Every year, I was in a different grade. And that made it really difficult to break in and become part of what was going on there. And I would often get picked last for what the teams were or not picked at all. And that was, of course, painful. Here's the thing about God. God chose us before the foundation of the world. He chose us. And there is more than enough room for all of us. All of us get that equal share. There's an irony, I think, in Galatians. Actually, in all of Paul's letters. Paul is an unmistakable genius. He's very factual. He's very lawyerly. He's very calculated. And he lays out his arguments like you'd expect someone whose mind works like Paul's would. The irony is that God uses this man to convey his love for us and the overwhelming tenderness and generosity of his heart to his people. In Christ, as God's adopted children, we don't have, we don't have the tyrannical, imbalanced, excuse me, unfairness and scarcity that the world has to offer. He seeks after us and gives abundantly such that each of us who believe in him get all of him. That is his heart for us. Look at verse 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. If you have a child, can you remember back to when your child was a baby and they ran up to you and cried, Daddy or Mommy? Absolute affection. That is God's love for us. Let's end with verse 26 of chapter 3. Verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We're about to celebrate the baptism of 14 people. These folks have acknowledged the sovereignty and authority of God. They've put their trust in him and his plan. And they are choosing to work out that faith by being obedient to this command to be baptized. For they have been clothed with Christ. They are already equal heirs of the kingdom of God with him. And we're going to get to witness the outworking of that them putting that on display. By entering the waters of baptism, they are picturing the truth that their old life has died and been buried and their new life in Christ has begun. That's a huge thing to celebrate. Folks, would you join me in prayer as we get ready to witness this? Lord, it is a privilege and an honor to gather together as a community, as a family, to witness what your servants, what your children are about to do. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son, for his death on the cross, for his resurrection from the dead that allows all of us to believe, to be adopted into your family and become your children. Father, as we witness this, would it settle into our hearts and make us ever more keenly aware of who you are, of your character, of your love for us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you. Thank you, Jason. What a wonderful day to be here. What a wonderful message from God's Word to hear this morning as we celebrate Baptism Sunday. At this time, I want to invite all of our baptism candidates on stage so you all can see them. Uh, as Jason said, we have a total of 28 people getting baptized today. Go ahead and applaud. That is amazing. We have 14 this service. And baptism is just, uh, this is their way of doing exactly what Jason said. They're showing you what Christ has done in their life, that they are now adopted. They are sons and daughters. They are part of the family of God. So if you want to hear their stories about how they came to know Jesus, Zach is going to tell you a little bit on how to do that. Yeah, and can you guys step up to the line if you can so the light hits you where it needs to? Uh, for the people online, of course. So we have an app and we have physical copies. If, uh, on the way out, you're welcome to grab a physical copy of the testimonies. But if you open up the GBC app this morning, when you do that, you're going to see their wonderful faces are, are the ones that are going to pop up first. If you hit connect and then you hit Sundays, you can see all the testimonies from everyone who was baptized last service and this service. And you see their names, you see their faces, you get to read their stories. And so please, when you get an opportunity, feel free to open that up and to check that out and learn a little bit more about what God is doing in the lives of uh, these people. So before they head out to uh, get baptized and their families are dismissed with them, we want to ask Pastor Gary to uh, say a word of prayer uh, over them. Yes, this morning, uh, very, very exciting, and it's a privilege for us to come together as a church family to pray for you, pray God's blessing for you, and for all of us who are on the, kind of the receiving end of this moment as a church family. Pray with me. Our God and Father, we thank you for the reminder this morning from the, the text in Galatians, Lord, that each person this morning is essentially casting off the garment of their own sin and trespass, and rebellion, and transgression. Lord, your, your word has a lot of words for sin, but they're putting on instead, they're being clothed with Christ, putting on the garment of Jesus' righteousness, holiness, and perfection. That as they enter the waters of baptism, that they are saying that they have spiritually been united with you in your death. As they come out of the waters of baptism, Lord, that they have spiritually been united with you in your resurrection, whereby you defeated death and the evil one and sin's power over us, that there is truly a new life that has occurred. And Lord, each person here has a different story of, of how they reached that point of decision in their lives where they gave their lives to you. Lord, there are some here this morning, and I just want to pray for them, that hearing about Jesus and his love and his death on the cross and new life in Christ is all new. Lord, by this power of your Holy Spirit, in a way that only you can do, would you speak to each heart that needs to know that message? Would the, the witness of what we see in the tank this morning speak so loudly of what you can do in their life that they would seek you out, oh God? They, they would know you through your Son, Jesus Christ, by your Holy Spirit. So we give you this time. Lord, we're so honored and excited, and it is a celebration. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, you all can follow Amber out. Uh, they are going to get set up. If you are the family of these individuals, as they go, you are welcome to line up with them out in the commons as they await to being baptized. I want to explain, if you're new, what you can expect uh, over the next 20, 25 minutes, we're going to worship together. And as we worship, we're actually going to throw up on the screen behind us. You're going to be able to see up close as our people get into the tank and as they're prayed over and as they go into the water and come out of the water, representing their victory and new, the new life that they have in Christ. When they come out of the water, we would just ask, because this is a celebration, that you would, that, that's the time to yell, to cheer, to clap. And while we are celebrating these individuals today for being baptized more so as we worship our God, we are celebrating what He has done in their life. Today is a day in which He gets the glory, right? And so as we cheer, as we worship, we're, we're just proclaiming His praises because He is worthy. So I'm gonna invite you to stand now and let's worship together.